The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. again it's his show it's brandon and it's the start of another week on the show today we'll be discussing 1976's bobby joe and the outlaw returning to the show to join me for that conversation from the windy city double feature picture show and the halloweenies it's mike vanderbilt Thank you very much, Brandon, for having me back. I had such a great time talking about Jason Goes to Hell with you guys on here. It was a, it was a blast. It was a lot, a long month of Jason Goes to Hell chats for me. Yes, it was a great debut, and we were fifty percent of your output for that day for Jason Goes to Hell. <laughs> yes, we were, but like a solid fifty percent. Solid fifty percent. It was great. I had, I had a blast. We made a fun promo for it. I got people loved. I got a lot of comments about your turn to the camera in the. In the promo. It was a, it was a good move. It was a good move. I was. I, I can't pretend. I enjoy being on camera. I really <laughs> do. Yeah. Uh, so last time we talked about Halloweenies because it kind of rather fit with what we were talking about and it was something we were working on. But since then, you've created the Windy City Double Features Show. Do you want to kind of give an overview of what that's about rather than me stumble through <laughs> what it is? Absolutely. A gentleman named by the name of Adam Karsten, who I'd never met before, he was recommended to get in touch with me by our mutual friend, Mike McBeardo McPadden, who passed away, unfortunately, sadly, unexpectedly, the author of Teen Movie Hell and Heavy Metal Movies. He said, you two need to get together and do something because I don't know over similar interest in old shit. And Adam's a bit of a historian and he's been working on a documentary about Mr. Kelly's, which was a popular comedy club, but they did like music and everything else too in Chicago throughout the sixties and I think into the seventies. So he would research old newspaper articles and about Mr. Kelly's. But one of the things he started doing was he started researching what double features played around Chicago and where, which is a very niche, very laser focused thing that when I heard about this, I absolutely love. He's got his, Twitter account, his Instagram account called Windy City Ballyhoo. So we got together. We still never met in person because we started recording the show back in October with the intention of having a backlog of episodes so that we would never miss a week mm-hmm. when we started it in 2021. But because of the pandemic, stay at home orders, everything else, we've never actually met in person, which is funny when people say you guys have a really good rapport, a really good dynamic with each other. Thank you. <laughs> but <laughs> but it, it's funny. And what we do on a show is we pick a double feature. And what I like doing about this show versus Halloween is, you know, as well as anybody that the horror is very much in the zeitgeist right now. But we made it a point, even though our premiere episode was Fade to Black and Alligator that played at the Chicago Theater was a horror episode. We didn't want to fall back on that too much because it's something that we could both talk about ad nauseum and easily. But we really wanted to spread our wings a little bit and get into comedy, action, drama, everything all different eras we've gone as far back as the early 60s but we've we've discussed doing double features that played around chicago in the 40s and 50s and just to kind of get out of your comfort zone and do some research and Mm -hmm. i enjoy podcasts that teach me something new and i enjoy doing 
Windy City Double Feature as well as Halloweenies because I get to learn something new as well. So we we pick a theater that it played at, give a little history of the theater, what was playing around Chicago at the time, what else was going around in Chicago at the time, what was going on in the rock clubs, what was going on in the news. And there's all sorts of cool stuff that we've gotten to dive into. And then we talk about the movies and then we give our own ratings and we rate the movie. The, we rate each of the movies and then how we think the double feature played together. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the times when when you program a double feature these days, when you do rep screenings, like I've been doing at Rock Island Public House, the bar that I work at, where we built a drive-in theater to help us out through the pandemic. And we're going to keep it rolling because we've had so much fun. Doing a double feature is fun to find <laughs> stuff that's interesting. There's a connection, be it a, an actor, an actress, a theme, a year. But most double features were just kind of put together because the studio wanted to re-release these movies and they didn't know what to do with them. Right. So there's a lot of wild, like how the hell did these two end up together? One of my favorites was an episode we haven't aired yet was Hal Ashby's the landlord paired with Lee Van Cleef in Sabata, a spaghetti Western. Okay. Out of the two, the spaghetti Western won for me. The landlord didn't right. do it for me, but I absolutely adored Sabata and became <laughs> immediately became one of my favorite spaghetti Westerns, but it's a lot of fun. I enjoy working with Adam. It just fits into my wheelhouse of tracking down and researching weird little factoids and fun facts, which we're going to get into a little bit today with uh, today's movie, which I'm sure is going to pop up at least once on Windy City Double Feature, because I did see, I think it was playing around town on a double feature with Martin Scorsese's Boxcar Bertha. If that is a true double feature. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's a lot of fun. And I appreciate everybody would check it out. We are on Twitter at Windy City DFPS, which I swear to God was the easiest handle I could find. You mentioned Fade to Black here, and that's coming up in a sec. But your your show, I've listened, and it is, I'm like, how many months did it take to prepare for a episode? Like, the research is there. Like, where are you coming up with these? Like, does he just have papers laying around? Or like, because some of the information is impressive to pick up on, because... He he be- has a list. He's got a, he's got okay. a Google Doc that he keeps, he just finds them and files them away. Mm-hmm. And then usually... Honestly, we usually have about a week or so to when we pick what double feature we're going to do to do the mm-hmm. research. But typical C students, we're usually doing all the research the day of the show. Right. But I, as a bartender, I keep weird hours. So it's nothing for me to say, OK, just get up early tomorrow, i.e. 11 o'clock a.m. <laughs> and, uh, you know, sit in front of the computer and click through Internet Nui database and Wikipedia. And I think what that says about podcasting and about you know just loving films in general all the inform all this information that we talk about in the show mm-hmm. and all the information we talk about the show today it's there it's yeah. all there but it's a matter of sitting there and doing the research and using creative thinking to say oh wait a minute i recognize that name why do i know that person where yeah. do i know them from and trying to piece together the narrative and there's all sort like uh, on Halloweenies doing research on the poster for Sleepaway Camp. I found out that the artist who his name, his name is escaping me now, also did art for the Transformers toys. Oh, wow. and that's just the kind of thing like, I don't know, you can't really write a whole article about that. Yeah. But God damn it. I love knowing that. That's that's I love telling people that I know that uh, we'll I'm like Tim most Sleepaway. of these. Yeah. Oh, I love Sleepaway Camp. I love it. I'm a fan of that. That series. Yeah. Oh, the whole series, huh? The, the uh, well, two and three. I'll take two, uh, two and three. Not so much that fourth one they made that Oof. we were like, we're better than two and three. And I'm like, Oof. we weren't. I, I'll say that two is, I really enjoy two. Three is like, okay, we're wearing out what we did in two now. But I think it's funny. I'm not a Chicago person. I'm not into Chicago history, but I'm drawn into what you're talking about in the episode and the, the things surrounding 
when a movie came out. It reminds me of a podcast I liked that never got to finish itself was the 80s all over. I don't know if you ever uh, listened to that one. I actually, I was that was Mondays before I'd go to work. I would mm-hmm. listen to 80s all over on my uh, while well, I had lunch, and it was something I looked forward to every week. And uh, if, if maybe if this can kind of carry the torch a little bit, I'd yeah. be proud of that. And something our mutual friend Katie Reif mentioned to me yep. when we were talking about the show was it does seem like a niche thing. Like you were saying, you're not mm-hmm. a Chicago guy, but you're right. interested in it. But I mean, I would listen to a podcast about movies that played the grindhouses of New York right. or movies that played the theaters of Los Angeles. Why isn't Chicago uh, spoken of in that same breath. I don't think people realize how much of a strong grindhouse scene we had through the late seventies and early eighties. Yeah, there, and I mean, if, and the eighties is full of just Chicago movies in general. It was a movie abs- city. Like you had all the you had all the Second City people coming back to Chicago when they got famous and making movies there. Absolutely. So I don't see it as it's niche, but it's not that niche that like people in Los Angeles and New York shouldn't be paying attention. I'm talking right. Re- I'm talking directly to you, people in uh, <laughs> Los Angeles and New York, because if Mr. Indianapolis here can listen to it, so can you. There you go. Yeah. No, it, it was really I just like it. I get the history. We all know about the premieres of the big movies and all that. But what about like something that feels almost it's it's not it's a big city, but it's also feels kind of localized. You're talking about different theaters and what it was like to go to them. I have a theater that when I grew up, I grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We had these Holiday One and Holiday Two, and they were nice. gigantic theaters. Uh, the big screen, it, the big big screen, like just, you don't see anymore. And they would actually they would deck out their lobbies. And it had a personal touch to it. It wasn't just cardboard stand-ups delivered by the studio. I mean, I remember even up to when Wes Craven's New Nightmare came out, they painted the window with like Freddy's back and yeah. had a mannequin with a Freddy sweater and all. You don't get that anymore. And then they built the Holiday 6, which was a multiplex right in the corner, and slowly shut those down. And then yeah. they leveled them. So you couldn't even reopen them if you wanted. The, the showmanship. The yeah. Ballyhoo, which I love. There's a great picture of somebody dresses a werewolf at a premiere of a New York theater for The Howling. Mm-hmm. I saw a local theater have somebody dressed as Jason Voorhees for a premiere of Friday the 13th Part 3. I can't remember where the theater was at, but I'll share them on our social medias when this episode drops. I saw that howling one. That was, I'm like, <laughs> I missed that. That's what people would go to the, that's where the magic is missing from the theaters. They're all corporately owned. And I mean, that don't allow for the, that kind of freedom. And I, 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 I'm, I'm a, I'm a sucker for that kind of ballyhoo because mm-hmm. at Rock Island Public House, when we're doing the drive-in, we uh, did a tribute to Mike McBeard on McPad. And one of the right. films we showed was Kiss Me, Stefan of the Park. And myself and my bartending partner, Ashley, dressed as Paul Stanley and, Peter Chris yeah. makeup and all. And I love doing it in the age of social media. Even if nobody at the bar cares or gets it. I loved it. Yeah. You'll get the, you'll get to put it out there. And for the most part, people at the bar love it when they see that stuff. Yeah, no, they, the people care about, you know, you didn't dress. I mean, you dress for yourself, but you dress for them to see it for them to have oh, a yeah. little bit extra. And I love doing it too. But like, yeah, yeah you want to, I'm hoping to line my pockets too, considering what we paid for those fucking costumes. Right. And I tell you what, my Paul Stanley costume was so disappointing considering how much money it was. It's like, I yeah. expected more. I expect that kind of nonsense from Gene, but not right. from Paul. There I you was go. very disappointed. 
disappointed. Yeah, you hear I mean, me, Paul Stanley? Yeah, your your show's got that great historical theater, like what was going on with these movies in other towns, not just a red carpet thing. Or 42nd Street, New York, you've got great stories too. Don't worry, but other cities probably have them as well. And um, I, I liked it. It's why I like regional filmmaking. It's 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 kind of that mm-hmm. small town mentality. Like what else was going on? We've heard we've heard enough about. You know, did Local H write the song? I'm so sick of California songs. And the last line is and fuck New York too. That's that's that should they should put that on the Chicago flag. Oh yeah, and it was funny. Like I, those things with those little towns too. I mean, even if one thing happened there, there's a huge history of everybody's experience with that. Yeah, I like I like weird. I like weird. Yeah. I like a little. I like stuff to be a little bit left of center. Mm-hmm. And I think my favorite review of Windy City Double Feature kind of put the nail on the head with the research is very academic, but the presentation is a lot of fun. Yeah, and you're a good showman, so I, I know uh, everything. The William got. Castle of the South Side. Nobody's ever go. actually called me that, but I'm trying to make it stick. Hey, it's great. I mean, between like I don't. I don't live near Chicago. I've not, I've not paid for the Rock Island Public House, but damn, I'm like, man, looks like a fun time there tonight, like all the time. So, <laughs> Thank you very so, much. Yeah, and your double features, awesome. I'm like, oh man, I would I would go up there to see that if if it wasn't like four and a half hours away. Well, yeah, a friend of mine was just came back from Indianapolis because he's been yeah. going down there for the Oral Roberts games. Oh, okay. Who I have uh, I have uh, going pretty far in my NCAA pool just because I wanted them to play Moorhead University because that's the kind of thing I think is funny. It's the best matchup you could have, yeah. <laughs> Too bad Ball State wasn't oh, in it, Oh, right? I know. I know. That's where I uh, went. So, yeah, I was a Cardinal Ball Stater. I went to all our buildings were, I mean, we had a lot of buildings named Balls, so we went to a lot of Balls. <laughs> There's a lot of Balls all over the a place. A lot of Balls all over. The Ball family, the Ball. ball I was in the Ball Communications building. That's where... <laughs> We talked balls all the time, but uh, yeah, I love your double features. Speaking of, I want to mention, because I always talk about this double feature dream I have, Transformers the movie, the cartoon from the 80s, and Boogie Nights. Uh, only only we one have, line there, through line there. But I love that. I'll just give a little bit of tease, a little bit of a tease, but we're doing a weekend okay. that may involve one of the movies that you mentioned. Oh, excellent. That has a very amusing to me through line but oh, nice. you're just gonna have to tune into the james van Ostel show when i announce that on april 5th all right all right april 5th we're looking forward to it they write ballads about girls like bobby joe the loving kind Loving a man so strong, nothing he does could ever be wrong. The pinball kid who made a name for himself and then had to live up to it. Come on, lover boy, move it. Bobby Joe and the outlaw, they were country kids. All they wanted to do was hit the road. But the country rose up and smacked them in the face. All right, boys, if you don't come out in three seconds, we're going to let them have it. I'll make love to me tonight. He knows what's going to happen, just like I know what's going to happen. Big boat is ready to go. Just squeeze the trigger if you have to. Emma Dalton said, they made me a criminal. I wanted to get killed in one hell-firing minute of smoke and action. 
Bobby Joe, who latched onto a whirlwind and couldn't let go. Bobby Joe Outlaws, directed by Mark Lester, written by Vernon Zimmerman and starring Linda Carter, Marjo Gortner, Jesse Vint, Mary Lynn Ross, and Belinda Belaski. It features a young country star, wannabe, who takes off from her car hop career to join with a young, modern Billy the Kid wannabe for an adventure in theft, murder, and mayhem. So, Mike, as I ask all the time, why did you pick this movie to come onto the podcast? So this was a, actually a fairly recent discovery of mine when the stay-at-home orders hit it with the pandemic last May 15th. I said, well, I got a lot of free time on my hands for the first time in my life because there's something I always mention. So I'm a bartender. That's my career. That's what I do. And something I always told myself as somebody who has an accounting degree, I have a bachelor's degree. I always said, you know, no matter what happens in, in my life with my career, with uh, whether there's war, there's famine, and you know, people are rich, people are poor. I'll always be able to attend bar. And this was the first time in my 15 years attending bar that I was not able to attend bar because all the bars were closed. You just couldn't do it. So I'm like, okay, this is the first time in my life where I'm actually going to have just, well, what we thought would be two weeks, uh, essentially two and a half months off. And I said, I'm going to start going through just watching movies that I'd heard about, that I'd read about, just watching movies all day. That's what I wanted to do. What else could I do? And this was one of the first ones I picked because I liked the poster. I like American International Pictures. And I was aware of it having a very special place in the heart of Jim McBride, the creator of Mr. Skin, (laughs) because this film features now one of his and now one of mine favorite cinematic duos in Linda Carter. But it's also got Marjo Gortner, who I'm a fan of. Right. And it just looked like my kind of thing. And uh, because it combines a couple of my favorite sub 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 genres of 70s cinema, it's got exploitation. It's got Bonnie exploitation. It's a road movie and it has all that great 70s country gr- grit that was in the zeitgeist in the 70s, which it's I like believe a Southern the getaway. You know, you mentioned Bonnie and Clyde, but it's got kind yeah. of Southern getaway feel. Yeah. And I just I, 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 I watched it and I immediately kind of fell for it. I just I just really dig this movie. Yeah, and for people like when you mentioned about the to your your favorite duo, this I, I was watching. I was like, if I knew about this movie, a kid in the seventies and eighties, this is like the. Do you want to see Linda Carter naked? Movie. Yes, this, yes, this is what this is. But uh, Mark Lester explained on the commentary that this movie it wasn't lost, but showed on HBO a lot. Okay. But home video wasn't around until 83, so a lot of people just kind of forgot about it. And Linda Carter has since not disavowed the movie, but mm-hmm. she has disavowed the uh, lovemaking scenes where she does bare her breasts right. because she has become a born-again Christian later okay. in life. Yeah, this and it's funny because this dropped right when Wonder Woman did. Yes. Like around the same time. Had this been like... Just years later, she'd have been probably recast because we were about to hit the satanic panic moral majority 80s. I don't know if like if well, I mean, this was a small movie, but they'd have possibly found the first child to have their strict, you know, (laughs) Christian evangelical mother find this. Right, and she would have been run off. But and, and the, you know, the funny thing is about the 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 scenes of her bare breasts. Like they just they reuse the same sequence like three times oh, yeah. in the movie, and the that was just 
that was the producer, you know, old Samuel. Because this was a this was an independent production, mm-hmm. but it was picked up for distribution by American International Pictures, who were kind of having a heyday right now with exploitation of right. all sorts. Black exploitation. They had, you know, they had done well with horror in the '60s and moved into all the other exploitations into the '70s. Mm-hmm. And they actually gave him a little bit of money to juice it up, add some scenes, shoot a little bit more. But they did. They they say, "Oh, we need we need some more of that lovemaking scenes in here to yeah. to sell this." Particularly to like Roger Corman, that was always his thing with the foreign investors. We right. need more sex, more violence, and if we can combine the two, even better. They were basically there's them and Hammer in the '60s, '70s, and then they evolved better than Hammer did. I mean. Product-wise, I think they did. Yeah, because I think by expanding, I think that was a smart decision on their part. And then, you know, they were, by 79, they were done. And Avco Embassy actually was uh, one of the companies that Mm -hmm. kind of picked up the slack Uh, of the drive-in feature, if you will, in the early 80s. Right. And this is an early Mark Lester film. I'm actually a pretty solid Mark Lester fan. Same. And at this point, he had Truck Stop Woman and or Women in Steel Arena. But well, it was he considered it part of a, an unofficial Americana trilogy okay. that he that was making. That makes sense. But you know, he goes on to make Roller Boogie, Class of '84, Class of '99, Firestarter, Commando, Showdown in Little Tokyo, that John Candy movie, Armed and Dangerous. Still kind of working, but those are kind of the notable ones that people would pick up on Night of the Running Man with Andrew McCarthy oh, yeah. was a good directive HBO one mm-hmm. that was on cable all the time when I was a kid. And yeah, Mark Lester, I think, is just a solid and if you watch him in interviews, a very sharp guy. I think just a solid exploitation director. Yeah. He kinda has touches that remind me of like John Carpenter a little bit. Uh, Indeed. Very work very workmanlike mm-hmm. in in a way, but you can almost always tell he has he, he's workmanlike, but he has a distinct visual eye, which you see all over uh, yeah. Bobby Joe and the Outlaw with those great vistas. And he, like Carpenter, is an acolyte of John Ford. Mm-hmm. And I think yes, I think that's a a good descriptor of yeah, him. And Firestarter is like almost a Carpenter. Well, like, oh, that's uh, just Carter. It, I mean, Carpenter was going to do Firestarter, but then the thing bombed and. He got kicked off that. So. And that's what made me think. I wonder if they said, well, uh, get us uh, get us his non-union equivalent, right? Right, right. And then Dean Cundy shot Roller Boogie. So he's got you know, that. You know, I've touched Dean Cundy. Now I have the Carpenter thing. So <laughs> there's maybe that, which I, I think Roller Boogie's a fun little movie. <laughs> oh, Roller Boogie's a good one. I, that was, uh, there's a funny story where that was on TV one night, like recently. Like, not recently, but maybe mm-hmm. in the past 10 years. Well, after everybody had cable. And it seemed like everybody I knew for some reason was watching fucking roller buggy that night <laughs> even my mom and i was like you ever see this roller buggy movie i'm like yeah i was just watching that one. Oh, such a good tale and it's uh, the zimmerman who wrote it he would write and direct fade to black and unholy rollers yeah unholy rollers has a uh, interesting connection in that uh martin scorsese is credited with some of the editing alongside mm-hmm. george trigoff and yun bi yi uh, and also features claudia jennings another another uh corman favorite yeah uh, that's a movie I've been meaning to talk about on a show for I don't know how many years. Fade to Black or Unholy Rollers? Unholy Rollers. Uh, when Fade to Black also is a good, good one. It's recently, yeah, Fade to Black a, uh, definitely came back in the zeitgeist with its uh, re uh, restoration vinegar from Vinegar Syndrome. syndrome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was one I'd seen on the cable when I was a kid and just kind of saw it, knew it existed, and forgot about it until I started. See- I saw the poster one. Day, I was like, How can I can't find? What is this movie? You know, what is this thing? I, I had been, it was one I had to scour. Like, I always wanted to see it. And it wasn't until I lived in Los Angeles and I found some video store that had it on VHS to rent. That yeah. I was able to, to finally 
check that off my long time needing to watch list. So that was good. Then our other big main player, Marjo Gortner. This guy has one of the most interesting starts <laughs> of any actor ever. Have you seen the documentary, Marjo? A- absolutely, I have. Wow. Uh, yeah. The like, Academy Award winning okay, documentary. Yes. That thing, I, I saw it a long time ago, but wow, like, so people who don't know, you probably recognize Marjo Gortner if you watch a lot of movies, but he was a televangel, uh, well, not televangelist, but uh, evangelical preacher. As a child. As like a child, he was yeah. A, a child preacher. And then he decides, like, for years he doesn't buy into it, but he decides to go back just for the money. And then he consciously is like, I can't do this anymore. So he gets a documentary crew to go on his farewell tour while they're showing him preaching to people and doing all this crazy shit. And then behind the scenes, he's like, yeah, this is all bullshit. This is all- <laughs> uh, yeah. And then he becomes which, this actor uh, in, which I think it's apt when he started working, doing a lot of American international and yeah. pictures where it is just a lot of ballyhoo and a lot of uh, bullshit. Right, right, yeah, because he did Food of the Gods the same year he did this. He was in Earthquake. You know, he'd go on to be the villain of American Ninja 3 as well. Uh, the the less, I think, my least favorite of the American Ninja series. Yeah, no, it's the worst one. Because that's the one without Dudikoff, but Dudikoff comes back in 4. Yeah, he comes back in 4. Uh, but they yeah. bring him back with the guy from three, who like yep. uh, his name escapes right now. Yeah, uh, it escapes most people. Um, <laughs> Gordner also appears. He's notable because he appears in one of my favorite Lucas exploitation films. Oh, oh, Star Crash, yes, Star yes. Crash, hell oh, yeah, I love that one. Yeah, that is such a oh, that is a trip. And this is turning into a vinegar syndrome love fest because he's also in Mausoleum, oh, which yep. has some great, great monster effects from John Carl, Carl Belcher mm-hmm. that I, I, I really I highly recommend that one. Yeah, that is a cool great one. box that, art, too. That was a blind buy on like a Black Friday for me when that came out. I was like, you know Ugh. what? And yeah. And then like the next week, the slip covers going for like three hundred dollars on eBay. So I know it's like slip covers are one of those things that I kind of hate them. <laughs> I, I I I'm a vinegar I'm a vinegar syndrome subscriber. Vinegar actually puts effort into theirs. Like there's a good material. Yeah, yeah. I'll give them that. But I don't need them. So like sometimes I look because I'm a I'm a subscriber to vinegar syndrome. I do the yearly thing. Yeah. I look at something like man, I could probably pay for my subscription every year by just selling some of these right. slip covers. Right. Yeah. I, I yeah. That's me too. Like I. I, I pref- like if it has one, I prefer it. But if it's not, I'm not gonna go scouring for the no. rare one on the no. It usually in my way. I just want to get to the movie. <laughs> well, some of them like their new ones, the Action USA and stuff. They do this top loader thing, and it's hard with the plastic to get it back. I'm like, <laughs> oh man, a lot of damage. But anyways, that's for our vinegar syndrome. Brandon Peters Lo- after love what they episodes. Yeah, love what they do. Love what they do. Good guys. Good guys. This movie. Yeah. As you mentioned, it's got yeah Bonnie and Clyde exploitation type movie, and you just kind of lull into it a bit. When I was trying to think about like what is it about this movie that appeals to me so much, and I think because the first half is mostly a hangout picture. Yeah, and movies like this, I dig the vibe. I like the world. I, it's a world that I want to mm-hmm. live in. I realize that's something I like about a lot of exploitation, but particularly exploitation. This film was shot around New Mexico, Albuquerque, Truth and Consequences. But uh, the funny thing is, I was like, this is a total Texas movie, and then I, right. looked, uh, I'm like, what New Mexico? I assumed Los Angeles, but I guess Lester had shot truck stop women down there. Okay. And I appreciate filmmakers who don't just shoot in Los Angeles right. because or Canada. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it Canadians. just it just looks like Los Angeles. It just looks like Canada. Right. At least 
shooting in New Mexico, it, it's got a vibe. It's got mm-hmm. something to it. Like you said, it feels like Texas, but it isn't. And then when you watch it again, knowing that it's New Mexico, you get a lot of, and there's so much great neon and smoky mm-hmm. bar rooms. It's just an atmosphere. It's a world that I want to go it, live in. It's one of the reasons why I love, you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood so much. Like I want oh, yeah. to live in this world. Even if nothing happened in this movie, in Bobby Joe and Yellow, I wouldn't mind hanging out with these, these good looking young people for right. a couple hours right and i i noticed uh so i watched it twice for this and the second time i watched it in the first about half of the movie there's a there's a thing i liked about with marjo's lyle characters doing he's slowly building linda carter into just buying into everything he does like he's i don't think he's vindictive or anything no, like, but I think he, he is... still believes she could have a country career but it's going to be on his terms but the crimes like start small slower slower slow and then she's in it she's got guns blazing and fuck the police and all that stuff. And it's slowly. interesting that they never they never give like she does sing. So she does sing in a movie. She get she has a guitar. Does, yeah, they do drop it a bit. And but yeah. she sings. Uh, Are you lonely like me? Yes. Yeah. That Which is written the... down. Here's here was one of, one of my favorite fun facts. Okay. But I was going to say she performs a song and like they never really give her a moment. Like you kind of expect her to play in a bar sometime or mm-hmm. like have some success and they never do that. And I kind of appreciate that. But the song, Are You Lonely Like Me, that Linda Carter sings and performs, it was written by this guy, J.C. Crowley. Now, J.C. Crowley at the time was dating Belinda Belaski. So after this movie, J.C. Crowley goes and forms the band Player, who had a hit with Baby Come Back that apparently, according to Belaski, was written about her after they broke up. Oh, right. That's a fun little. I liked it. It's, it's a, one of my favorite songs. I refer to it as Oats exploitation because it's definitely <laughs> trying to rip yeah. off uh, Hall and Oats. But that was a fun little bit of trivia about that right. song. But they never really give her like they never like they kind of drop the country singer thing and they just turn into, into a criminal. And I appreciate that. I like that. Yeah. Like she just I mean, but she's young, so that could easily yeah, I'll get to it later or, you know, pass it by the wayside. She's now into this. And yeah, she's in she's into Robin Banks. And like I said, I don't think Gortner is to use a buzz term to use the term gaslighting or doing like like you said, being vindictive about it. I think they genuinely do love each other. I think they are into each other. He knows who he is and he needs to ease her into it. That's what I think he's kind of trying to do. Because she had several times where she could turn it away, but uh, she just is attracted to the the thrill of it. Yeah. And well, and her friend is just. She sees through it like majority of the time, but is like such a nothing burger person that I think she feels that if they were to get caught, she would be fine no matter what. And oh yeah, and she ends get, up yeah. uh, she ends she up ratting them out. But that's Belinda Belaski as yeah. Essie Beaumont. Now she's somebody who we might give the Golden Hot Dog Award to on Windy City Double Feature because mm-hmm. you want to talk about a great character actor career. She must be a favorite of Joe Dante's because she okay. shows up in Piranha, The Howling. Gremlins matinee, Nightmare oh, Cinema. She's really good in this, and they they had to they had her put on glasses and stuff and look hippie-ish because she didn't think she could. She did. I think she did it. No, she did it for herself because she didn't think she could compete with Linda oh. Carter in the in the looks department. So she wanted mm-hmm. to bring like a different spin to her character. Gotcha. You know, and I, I had an interesting thought when I'm uh, where we've gone in life when I'm watching, and I'm like, Linda Carter looks stunning in this movie, right? Oh, my like, goodness. Otherworldly is how I would describe it. Would she have been given a chance in today's... Like, they'd have been like, she's too big. Like, she's too tall. Well, yeah. She's, she's too thick. I'm like, no! Well, she was no, Miss like, America before this, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I often, like, when I'm looking at her, I'm like, yeah, they'd probably say, you know, like you said, 
She's not skinny enough. She doesn't like, look this hard certain on like the, we like you and I are doing it. But like, <laughs> I mean, the people who some of the pop culture like aficionados and then like the casting people like want like twigs in movies. I'm like, she is perfectly. If you saw her in person, she'd probably look way smaller than that. Like it's. <laughs> well, I was wondering about her because she looks tall. Yeah. In this movie. And I wondered if she was like one of those like Sylvester Stallone. Uh, it was just a, a little because and back to Sylvester Stallone was actually almost in this movie. Yeah, he was, yeah. yeah, he was almost Bob, He's not Bobby up. Joe. He's almost what's his name? What's his name? Lyle. Lyle, Lyle Wheeler. Yeah. And I once met an actor. So I, I, I gave a really good review to a film at a film festival. It was a, you know, little trashy horror movie. And uh-huh. I was hanging out with some people afterwards. And the subject of the movie came up. I really liked that. And the guy's, oh, don't you recognize me? I'm the star. And I looked down <laughs> and I say, oh, huh. no, I did not recognize you <laughs> for no other reason. I, I must have missed it. <laughs> I am not a tall individual. And he was shorter than I was. Oh, wow. I've been with Robert Downey Jr. before, and he is like really tall. Really, I think my son right now might be taller than him. He's nine. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just like, wow. Oh, little guys. But hey, they look good on camera. They look good on camera. You just got to shoot them the right yeah. way, right? Tom right. Cruise, another one. Right. Oh, yeah. Also, I'm watching and I'm like, a lot fucking happens in under 90 minutes in this. Really? And it, today, truly. there's no way this could help, not help itself but be two, two and a half hours. But they accomplish all character stuff, all action, a progressive like, pro- like stakes just rising and shit. It's all there. In like 86 minutes today, they feel they'd feel like they need 80 billion backgrounds <laughs> and dialogues, and and it's just perfect as it is. This is like and, yeah, this is the kind of movie that feel like some movies feel long at 86 minutes that shouldn't feel long. This movie feels long because you can't believe they crammed all this great stuff. And it still feels loose. It. it still feels loose too. That's the amazing thing. Like it's it's it just roams free, and you know it. it there's like. In the last third of the movie, there's a bunch of action sequences back to back to back to back. and Some great action sequences. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorites is when they rob the bank and lasso the 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 safe out of there with the mm-hmm. truck, which is a nod to Billy the Kid. As you mentioned, he's a, kind of a oh, Billy yeah. the Kid type in this. And the director, Lester, had read that in a book that's actually featured in the movie because Marshall Gortner's character is reading it. It's called Blood Letters oh, and Bad Men by right, J. Yep. Robert Nash. Considered a Ro- spoiler on the IMDb trivia. Yeah. <laughs> I was under he, the, that was under the spoiler section. I was like, okay, okay, sure. Yeah, well, J. Robert Nash ended up suing him, and he oh. probably would have never sued him if he didn't put the book in a movie. Oh. Because that's a Gortner's reading from at the, uh, the funeral. That's right, yeah, and they pull it open at the end too uh they also like later down the generations later fast five would do that in a movie where they drag a safe with bigger safe uh, <laughs> with cars but. well those i mean aren't, aren't those truly the modern day exploitation films the fast oh, yeah. movies for sure yeah car exploitation yeah car exploitation um, i love it yeah and uh, i can't help with marjo gortner here the whole time i'm like this is like the setting up the prototype for like matthew mcconaughey like he is not, not every movie Marjo Gortner's in, he's like this. But in this one, I'm like, this is total. Like, you could put McConaughey here, and oh, it absolutely, change, it wouldn't change a bit. The skinny, good-looking hillbilly, like not hillbilly, but like Texan, that southern, yeah. that southern style. Yeah, I do love all the costuming in this. Yeah, oh yeah, the, yeah. Linda Carter gets some great freaking <laughs> some, some great halter tops in right. this one. 
Right. Yeah. And, and Gortner just looks fucking one hundred percent cool in like just a black T-shirt. Like that's it, all that it needs, or the sleeveless, the sleeveless denim shirt. I do Iconic. like that. Gortner is his Lyle Wheeler. He drives. Get it? But his character, they they really established. He didn't like to kill people at all. The opening chase. The cop car flips over. He before he leaves, he waits to see if the cop gets out okay, and then he bolts off. He gets, you know, of course, he gets angry when what's his name uh, slits a throat. He's haunted oh, uh, by Slick. Yeah, Slick, Slick Callahan, played yeah. by the great Jesse Vint. Yes, he's horrified when he shoots a guy in the head. And then there's the part where he has to do the shootout with the gas station attendant. The the draw. That's and, a great scene. And he's, a, he's nervous because he's like, I do these. But I don't, I don't think he's ever killed someone in one. And he realizes, I'm going to kill him. I know I'm better than him, but I've never actually... Like, I could feel like in his mind, I've never actually killed someone well, during one of these. It's something I like what they did with his character. That I don't... I They still do it in movies now. But I, I some, to badmouth a movie I've badmouthed before, the movie Baby Driver. Mm-hmm. They they want to do kind of a grittier, a, a gritty heist movie. But they... they what I say they they pull punches when they talk about the character of baby where they try to make him too sweet too nice mm-hmm. so that the audience can relate to him. Marshall Gardner is a perfect example. Like, I guess he's a true anti-hero in the sense that he doesn't want to kill these people. That's not his vibe. He just wants mm-hmm. to be Billy the Kid. He wants the thrill. He wants the excitement. He wants the legacy. But he will if he has to. So yeah, he's okay. not necessarily that sympathetic. Mm-hmm. But you have enough that you like him and you kind of hope he just won't kill that guy yeah but then he does right but you're still in it because you still want to see him get away at the end right exactly yeah yeah and yeah that's a point you bring up too like i i've had a problem with there's like a demand for like not necessarily with the anti-heroes but even with the villains like wanting woke villains i'm like they're they're fucking villains like they (laughs) Why do they think, need to be like thoughtful? They're they're I, bad. <laughs> I think that's fallout from the Marvel movies who have given us villains that you kind of understand their motives. Right. But I just I like when a bad guy's bad, you know? Yeah. And I don't need my hero to be good. There's also on the flip side, there's a call for people don't understand that just because you enjoy a movie that has an anti-hero or a character that, you know, like Travis Bickle. Yeah. Who and there is not a lot to empathize or sympathize with that man. But in order to like that movie, you need to approve of everything the the characters do. And I'm not down with that. I don't think that's as rampant mm-hmm. as people like to make it is. But if you spend if you spend too many days on social media, right. you'll feel like exactly. it sometimes. And if you write that person, that doesn't mean you believe that. That's what you believe would be bad. You <laughs> know, like the, give the writer that credit. They're not like praising that. They're not like secretly like that. They think that is evil. So that is how their evil is coming off. Appreciate nice, ca- nice guy characters aren't as interesting. <laughs> no. They're boring. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Now, I don't want to get too much of it. Do you happen to see a promising young woman? Yeah, I love that movie. The ending that was divisive is what turned it from a two and a half star to a four star for me. But mm-hmm. one thing I love what they did, not to give any spoilers, but they took that nice guy notion and burst that bubble so good. And I that was that was really when I started like, oh, I really like where this movie's going. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I yeah, that movie. There's I so much love for that movie. <laughs> I just I just yeah. posted my Blu-ray review, and normally with that one, I was like, really, I was like, I really want to like get my feelings across right on this one. So I took my time writing it. Oh, sure. Absolutely. It's a movie I just really liked. And I know there's so many good pieces on it already. I'm like, what am I going to add to it? Aside from image quality looks great. The audio. Is fine. Uh, <laughs> As we discussed offline before the show in 10 years, someone will find that review yeah. and that'll be the review that makes them want to watch it. Right. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Promising. Okay. 
Never heard of this, though. Nominated for five Academy Awards. Oh, she did Zatanna, the DC movie. Okay, I know that person. <laughs> I don't know. This movie just... I, I watched it twice. Both times were great. Notice little new things the second time. I think uh, you, I think you I think and, it's a movie that you really truly will enjoy. This I don't think you need I don't think you should have to watch a movie twice to get enjoyment from it. No. But I think this is a movie that when you realize what it's doing that it is more mm-hmm. of a hangout picture that you will appreciate more the second go around that you just get to spend time with all these characters. Right. But you also are treated to so many great locations, so many, so much great aesthetics that I like. Neon, smoky bar mm-hmm. rooms. There's a great pinball battle. Pinball, yeah. I, love, <laughs> I love any movie that features a pinball game, and this one features Gottlieb's Duotron from yes. 1974, I believe. Although I don't think there's any, I don't think there's a real, that's a real way to cheat on pinball. I think that. Yeah, I, no, I don't think it's going to. Artistic license. You want some action, friend? Yeah. What, I, what I like about that one is the little subtle thing that you know pisses that guy off so bad is when he hands him the cue stick back as he's leaving and goes, here you go, boy. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. Like, oh, I was like, they're following him outside. And I think and I, I think it's one of those things that I like that are when you see things in movies that are very indicative of the time. In another movie, this might have been a pool match that mm-hmm. he but no this is the 70s pinball's hot we got to put pinball oh, in yeah. there that's a i mean who knows that could have been aip's extra footage for all i know i mean it's on we the need bar get, side the sign outside like oh we got pinball there's a couple great signs there's we got, we got pinball and then the motel that they hang out at the end is showing deep throat <laughs> I, i'm assuming in the lobby somewhere right, yes oh now show yeah I, I also we have a strip club in the movie too that we visit and it's where we pick up her sister and I love that when they meet up, like, she's like, well, best I've ever had in the sack. Good dancer, too. And it's funny because her sister's like, uh, but like, she just met the same kind of guy you did. Like, that's. No, yeah, yeah exactly, level. exactly. You guys, have, you guys have made the same decisions and here. We got to talk about the sister for a minute. Pearl Baker, yeah. played by the great Marilyn Ross. Mm-hmm. She's the one who got the money to make this movie. Oh, really? She met some uh, record producer. He was he was getting out of the record business. Some his name was Steve Brody. He was in the record business, and she kind of just talked to him at a bar, sweet talked him, and got him to invest in this movie. And she kind of had a small career working with Mark Lester as a producer. She did the White House Madness, and she did Class of 1984. Oh, wow. and another and another Stone Cold Fox. But again, like it's hard to compete with Linda Carter in this one. Right. You had to have the blonde to offset the brunette. So. There's a funny story on the audio commentary where the producer is asking Mark Lester, did you ever think about dyeing her hair brunette to match Linda Carter's? And Mark Lester was like, she got the money. She could do whatever she wants. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. If, hey, if she wanted to be in the movie, I'd say that. There you go. <laughs> um, and yeah, and her boyfriend, he... <laughs> yeah, when he first... Meet him and he's uh they're driving together to go pick something up or whatever that turns out all sorts of shit. He's like, I'm funny as hell when I'm high. He's oh, like, he's got he's got a couple oh, good gosh. he's got a couple good lines because he's got the other one about a, a hard mm-hmm. man being good to find, which I think I might put that on my business card. Huh. He's a bit of the you need him, but he's a bit much of a wild card, but you gotta too much it a- to get the job done. Yeah, too, a little too much of a wild card. But they were gonna get they were gonna get caught up one way or the other. Mm-hmm. The sheriff, he's terrific too. Yeah, uh, Gene Drew. He was a favorite of Lester's. He uh, was in Steel Arena and Truck Stop Women. Uh, the connective tissue he's, of he's the, a, yeah. the Lester's America Americana Crime trilogy. Wow. Yeah. 
he's like uh what's your name he looks uh, like a sheriff he, he's he's so indicative of the guy you would hire as oh yeah to play the sheriff in these kinds of movies you know but it's it, kind of funny thinking this too you're like oh yeah. oh absolutely and then he's got now one of the interesting character actors in here was john dernan who plays his deputy deputy mm-hmm. gantz so he was in a lot of low budget driving affairs and he did the gumball rally but then he was a writer too he even showed up well he showed up on wonder woman too which is oh, notable that's good <laughs> i think a couple because one of them play uh one of the girls shows up on wonder woman as well belinda belaski okay showed up on wonder woman but john dernan co-wrote roommates with arthur marx arthur marx is one of my favorite exploitation directors he did detroit 9000 he did jd's revenge okay. but then he also wrote and you may have seen this one he uh, wrote the weirdo Leaf Garrett killer kid picture, The Devil Times Five. I know I haven't seen that one. I know the uh, I know the title, but I've never seen that one. Uh, that's uh, that that one's okay. worth tracking. I think it's on all the free streaming okay. services like Tubi. It's not great, but it's so odd, and it's great Those to see Leaf are Garrett good as a killer resources kid. Resources for that stuff, I love. It, like indeed, I know people like to dump on like Amazon, but I'm like, dude, they have so much good trash on Amazon. Oh, Amazon's uh, look, I, I, I give them a hundred dollars. My shit gets shipped in two days mm-hmm. and I have access to all sorts of junk and anything else. I'll pay the four dollars if I want to watch it right now. Like, I used to have to go to the video store. I used to have to. I was at the, you know, the mercy of them. If mm-hmm. they didn't have Bobby Joe and the Outlaw, I wasn't watching Bobby Joe and the Outlaw. Right. And if and then when we got down to just blockbusters and Hollywood videos, they didn't carry that stuff. So no, yeah. there's one more character actor that kind of blew my mind. OK. James Gammon plays the leather salesman and he played coach Lou Brown in major league. Oh, wow. What a great face, right? Yeah. But he's, you know, he's what? 20 years younger in this one. Yeah. The only other thing was like uh, those city lights performed by Bobby bear. Yeah. This had a a good little kicking country soundtrack. What a great, what a great tune. Before urban cowboy would take the ring. Yeah. And I think it really uh, captures the, the vibe of this movie and uh, it's called Those City Lights. It's by Bobby Bear, mm-hmm. who of course is Bobby Bear Jr.'s dad. And it was released by RCA as a B-side to his single, Put a Little Love on Me. And it was written by Barry Devorzon, who ended up writing music for Rolling Thunder, Warriors, Ninth Configuration, three classic okay, uh, yeah. of 70s cinema there. And then uh, also V, The Final Battle. That's a good day. Hey, that's a good enough resume right there. I know, right? Great tune, though, by, <laughs> by Bobby Bear. Like, what a career he had. And it just seems odd. That it almost feels like he'd be too big time for this exploitation picture, mm-hmm. but I don't know where his career was at that point. Oh, we have that weird peyote scene, right? Oh, where they, with the, the Native American the, sh- the, is yeah. shaman the proper term? I don't know. Are we supposed to assume the, the friend is hooking up with him or something? during? Like, <laughs> like, They're all naked in a little pond. And I was like, is that her date now? Or Well, yeah, so I got a friend. I've got a friend. <laughs> <laughs> we don't get the peyote, peyote if you don't. And it's, it's actually kind of a cool little sequence because it kind of brings that mythical quality to the mm-hmm. whole thing where Marjo Gortner's character can see that he's not going to get out of this alive. Of course, yeah. nobody does, right? No, nobody. And it's a great well, ending with... Uh, Linda Carter does, but... Linda Carter gets out of it alive and becomes... Like, you kind of know what's going to happen. It's like, they cut to the hotel room and they're like, where'd she go? Oh, she went to get this. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> they're all going to die. And she gets hauled away, but like she's still got that killer instinct. She's converted, in her, you know? yeah. She's fully, she's one hundred percent turned, wanting the life to of the crime. life of crime, the thrill, the excitement. She probably write better country songs. Uh, y'all sure most most country <laughs> singers spent some time in the clink. Yeah, definitely. There's also before that they they kind of give a little leeway 
to the criminals by way of the police shooting up the wrong hotel room in a sequence that kind of, and they're just kind of like, eh, let's cover this up kind of, kind of deal. Yeah. Kind of a, who, who is more moral? Is yeah. it the, the authorities or the criminals who, who truly is the, the villain in this? Yeah. Like I, I, it's also, I think a sharper movie than people. I, I think people yeah. say that all about a lot of exploitation. I think people forget that these guys were all students of film. A lot of the producers were in it mm-hmm. just to make the quick buck, but they would, they would seek out the right talent to make these kinds of movies. And that would elevate these from what people think. Well, they're allowed to be a little more honest in the exploitation as well. They're allowed to give their, they give the actors a little bit more freedom. They can just say what they want because it's going to be on the exploitation circuit. So it's allowed to be a little bit more freer so they can. Yeah, they mentioned on the commentary, uh, Mark Lester mentions on the audio commentary on the Kino Lober disc that people want their movies to just go into cans right away now. Cans, can. And he's like, no, like back then, it's not how you did it. And he he seems to have preferred it that way, where you just kind of hung out on the drive-in circuit for a while. And those are all Roger Corman and Samuel Arkoff protégés. Yeah. And those who have, a lot of them have become the A-list directors of their day. I mean, Scorsese, James Cameron. Coppola came from. Coppola, countless other ones that I'm probably forgetting. Yeah. Like I think Dante was with Corbett for yes. Oh yeah, Dante. Yeah, and his you know he's obviously his his stink is on this a little bit because he and the actress Belinda Belaski obviously became friendly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely more interesting time. Just like I said, like I I've always I've said long on the show that. I still enjoy movies today, even blockbuster this, but like there's a lot more calculated efforts now rather than sloppy. Like I appreciate a little bit of sloppy, a little bit like if no. you're going like, you know. I often joke that Mike, you see this movie I'm like, nah, man, it was made after nineteen ninety five. I've never seen that before. Right. But I did I did the festival circuit and there's a lot of new stuff I like. I'm a big fan of Joe Bagos's output. I liked Bliss and VFW as far as when you're talking in the exploitation and genre world, but mm-hmm. I just I, something I just can't get down with is I don't like the low budget aesthetic of today versus the low budget aesthetic of the 70s. Mm-hmm. And that just is because things looked cooler in the 70s. The, people yeah. smoked, people drank, people had rough lives, people the wore film cool. stock. The film stock wasn't always pretty, too. That yeah, they nice, wore yeah. cool clothes. And like even with with digital fame, filmmaking, as somebody who has shot short films, somebody who has shot stuff, I can't believe that I sh- can shoot and edit shit on my phone in, right. in, in, an, in a night, like in 10 minutes to put it on social media to advertise my bartending shit. I can't believe it. But I cannot believe that low budget filmmakers haven't figured out an inexpensive way to make digital films look part of my French look shitty. Look a little <laughs> grimy. Like look and to me that looks more real. And I'm not talking just throwing the you know, Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, Grindhouse filter. Right. Over yeah, no, that's things. the mistake. Yeah. Once upon a time in Hollywood, and that was, of course that was shot on film, looks great. I, but there, I know, why can't you do that? You can do anything else. Why can't you make digital look like film? I just don't understand. Fin- or at least Fincher- give it some sort of aesthetic that yeah. isn't just blue and red and pink right. lighting. I think David but. Fincher's done, he's not going for that Grindhouse look, but he's doing he has an aesthetic. making, he's kept his aesthetic tight through his transition from film to digital. And I'll it's an aesthetic. It's an aesthetic that I appreciate, but like mm-hmm. somebody like Michael Mann, like I, I, I prefer his eighties output. Oh yeah. And I appreciate that he was experimental with digital filmmaking early because you know, there's, there's so many pluses to it. So many pluses to it. Mm-hmm. You can just shoot and shoot and shoot. And it's, relatively inexpensive but when we're talking about low budget genre filmmaking that real harsh light where everything is crisp and clean and everybody Mm -hmm. feels like they're just trying to get a shout out on the one perfect shot 
yeah. website. Yeah. Like where everything <laughs> is so stylized. Like that was something with Promising Young Woman where I like I liked the kind of uh, candy coated pop art colors. Right. But some of the shots where I'm just like, oh, God, this is this there is are, too much. You're drawing I, attention to it. And I, I I didn't like it. But I thought she was visually chatting with you with certain things so i okay. appreciate it. so there's there's a lot i got the the second or third time i watched it i was like oh i could possibly watch this on mute and get what's going on really well okay I think she, she, all right i think she talked visually very well with it which yes i could see it getting be like yeah one perfect shot got it i i can totally see that but i actually have seen it to where i'm like i think she really is got a, a mute movie where you could enjoy it just as much on mute yeah. and i love a good visual eye i don't yeah. i mean i but like something like this there's a lot of great shots of the vistas of New Mexico, which I'll tell you what, I uh, towards the end of summer, a friend, a good friend, one of my best friends and I, mm-hmm. my buddy Dan Lynch, his mom lives in Arizona, was giving him a car. We had to fly out there to go pick it up and drive back. Okay. And it still looks exactly like it does in Bobby Joe and the Outlaw. And like, oh, wow. it's just such beautiful country. Well, and like a lot of that's just nature and who's the cinema it's funny the cinematographer on this we didn't talk about it no but here's, I, I forgot i didn't even think i forgot to look him up like i normally well, I did do because that way, but. because it was interesting because they mentioned on the commentary that he shot it under a pseudonym they shot oh. it under the pseudonym stanley wright okay and his real name is gil hubs and he, he works a lot with seinfeld now it looks like on video videography for dvds blu-rays that stuff oh, okay but he shot enter the dragon oh pretty cool that's yeah wow Oh, you know who else shows up in this? You know, who was an assistant director on this was Chuck Russell. Oh, no shit. Yeah, who did Nightmare on Elm Street 3, the, the Blob. The, the Blob. Yeah, Scorpion yeah. King, co-road Dream Scene. And he also plays one of the deputies at the end. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's funny. Well, that's, you know, that's what I love about this. They're like, uh, we don't have enough people for the car. Oh, just go get, go put one of them on, go, go stand in there. Like, oh, if, if I was at a film set, that would be, that was always me. Mm-hmm. We need some guy. Put him, all right, put Mike in a hat. Have them stand back there. There you go. I, I call it the art of being a good sport. Right, yeah. Let's let's get this done. Well, and there's a thing also with these movies you mentioned, like with the old thing, there's, there's a sense of danger in just the filmmaking that's not there anymore. <laughs> Grant, you know, good thing people live nowadays, but like these cars roll over somebody, you know, just... They used real bullets on this movie. Oh, they did. For like the oh. sequences where they were shooting like the cans and everything or practicing, okay, yeah. they used real bullets. And uh, <laughs> I don't think we could get away with that these days. Yeah, no, but like I, there's movies. Uh, we were just talking about one. Uh, we talked about, I talked about The Wraith a couple weeks ago. And uh, they, I was talking about that on... When you about double it, features. I, I heard the it. Sleep... Oh no! Was it Windy City Double Feature? We talked about yeah, it. You talked about yeah. That's a cool. Or as other movie. countries called it, Black Moon Rising too. But uh, really, yeah. really, yeah. Um, ah, that's funny. That's great. But there, they blew up a garage in that movie, and I'm just like, people had to like duck and cover on set. Somebody got hit by a debris. Did they clean it all up? Like all these things, and I just love the real explosions. I love the real car. I love the generic oop dink blow up. Oh, you want to talk stuff? about stunts and Mark Lester? Yeah. He did one of New Line's earlier uh, productions. He uh, directed stunts from 1997 oh, yes. yeah. Yeah. with Robert with Forrester. Forrester. Yeah. And uh, who's the guy? Uh, oh, oh, Richard Lynch. The guy with Richard the Lynch. Face. Shame yes. on me. God damn. Face. Yeah. Richard Lynch. Yes. Oh, yeah. But he's, yeah, stunts, stunts, uh, another great Mark Lester joint. Uh, written by. I believe co-written by Barney Cohen, who co-wrote the the Happy Hooker Goes to Washington and Friday the Thirteenth Part Four, 
the final chapter. The final, yeah, my favorite Friday. So there you go. Yeah. I, it, it, it's hard to argue that one. I think I, that one sits at the top of my list as well. I always say it's the quintessential Friday the 13th film mm-hmm. because, yeah, it delivers everything you want out of those kinds of movies. else this is where we talk about anything we may have read listened to watched or written podcasted about produced uh, so mike what else so let me see so we got of course halloweenies podcast is rocking and rolling i do recommend anybody who's listening to the show if you enjoy this i do recommend looking into the patreon we have several tiers so we of course offer this this season we're covering the scream franchise but because there's only four movies we have to fill out the rest of the year because we do an episode a month so we're filling it in with randy's recommendations we're doing movies that were mentioned and referenced in the Scream films. Uh, we did Prom Night from 1980. And next month, we'll be doing Joe Dante's Werewolf Classic, although not my favorite werewolf movie of 1981, The Howling. And the Patreon episodes, we always have a The Rental in the Isle, where we, one where we do a deep dive on, an episode, on a film that if you give us the if you pay us if you go on our patreon and 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 join at that tier we will do a movie of your choice which is how we ended up doing sleepaway camp one of my absolute favorites and also one where we do a commentary we are doing a commentary for phantasm next month another one of my absolute favorites that i think again to tie it into bobby joe and the outlaw i think why i like that movie so much it's very much a hangout picture as well and it has those great 70s aesthetics and it's spooky still. Like I, think oh yeah, I, I, the right person. I recommend like with people like nowadays watching the horror movies by themselves. Well, now it's easy, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you have to. I think it's required by the state actually. But Brad. I think to give honest like old horror movies stuff a chance, put your phone down, go sit in a dark room, late turn at night, turn off the lights, lean into it, give it uh, its and- best chance. Uh, you want to talk about a mute movie. Phantasm is a great movie to put on oh, at the bar because it's it's so visually stunning. Uh, I often refer to it as an American version of an Italian horror film. Oh, no. That, yeah, it's right there. And I, I think I honestly think John Carpenter's Halloween has a lot of that going for it, too. Visually. Um, Absolutely. Uh, the, the Kim and Cundy, you could tell we're into that stuff. Uh, and that's what I think. You know, Cundy starts getting a rep for bringing that vibe to America a bit. But yeah, that's definitely got a lot of Italian. Coscarelli, right? Adonna Coscarelli. Coscarelli, even though he sounds nothing. (laughs) No, no. Nicest guy in the world, too. I have interviewed him. And I tell you what, me and Matt Wedge from Daily Grindhouse, we sat down with Reggie Bannister, Don Coscarelli, and the guy who directed Phantasm Ravager, whose name's escaping right now, but Mm -hmm. a real, real nice dude. And we just we just had a great time That's shooting good. the shit with those guys. Oh, I bet. I bet. And then uh yeah, check out Windy City Double Feature. And then as far as what I've been watching, like I'll tell you, with all this podcasting, I, I've been appearing on a lot of other people's shows. It's it's been a lot of homework. Oh yeah. Lately. Huh. But two gems that I watched that I'd seen before, but I rewatched that I would mm-hmm. highly recommend. I really dig, I think a lot of people do, made for TV horror from the nineteen seventies. And did Gargoyles and Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Oh, I've seen Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Gargoyles is absolutely worth a watch. Flies by. You got Bernie Casey as the head gargoyle. Stan Winston, he worked on it. He didn't create Mm -hmm. the effects, but he was part of it. Of course, now his name is right (laughs) on top of the DVD box. And I tracked down Are You Afraid of the Dark? Okay, yeah. Which is another classic. classic. Made for TV horror. Mm -hmm. 
And you could probably watch all three of those in, in, in one night and still be able to be in bed before midnight. Right. So now, Are You Afraid of the Dark Zone Warner Archive Blu-ray now, I believe. Oh, I, I, I had heard I that it got that. a bl- I reviewed that one. <laughs> yeah. It was hard. It was I couldn't even find it on YouTube. It was so hard to track oh, wow. down for a long time. They really need to start doing box sets of the I know it would probably take a ton of contracts, everything, but like box sets of like TV movies from the 70s and 80s. Cause it's really, I don't think people understand how different, like people put effort, these were like treated almost real movie, just lower budget, lower resources, but they really went at them. They really did. And they try, and they, they really try to make them scary. Another one of my favorites from that era is Don't Go to Sleep, which has one of the creepiest endings of all time. Right. And it's more than just those Stephen King miniseries. Those were, no. those were the exception. Those were really, they, <laughs> they went all out into those. But there were other movies, like John Carpenter had one, like, uh, oh, the, uh, the eyes, uh, not the, I, no, um, eyes of, somebody's uh, watching me. Somebody's, somebody's watching, watching me. me. Yep. Yeah. Which is very good. Very yeah. good one. Very good, yeah. And there's just all sorts of, you'll find all sorts of like top notch people. I really think like Disney's missing out with, I mean, they're putting some of them on Disney Plus, but they're Wide World of Disney Sunday Night Movies. They have a lot of like crazy stuff they were doing. Watcher, there. Watcher in the Woods, right? Watcher in the Woods. There, there's, you know, Mr. Boogity came out. Oh, uh, right Mr. Away. Boogity was, I, I, I enjoyed Mr. Boogity. In right the when Disney Plus movie. came out, I'm like, is Mr. Boogity on there? I'm like, yes, it I is. I can't, yeah, I can't believe they haven't put but that I want, on. But I want them to put the whole thing because they cut, they, they look really Really weird because they used to come after a Michael Eisner introduction and then he okay. closed it out too. So when you hit him now, it's just like, oops, oh, this is this is started. Okay, like it, it's weird. There's no logos, nothing, and then when it ends, it's kind of just abrupt. So they really should put those on. Yeah, uh, I agree. I agree. And I want them to put. They need to put DTV Monster Hits from 1988 on there. There you go. With, yeah. with the original commercials when it aired on October 29th, 1980. I think October. No, it was October 31st. 19- people, people would dig that. Like I have a, I have an um over in the UK, uh, the place called Network put out a a collection of the Cybernauts episodes from the old Avengers, the oh, Steve nice. Peel Avengers. But there's an option to watch it with commercial breaks with old commercials. Oh, I love inserted it. back in. I'm like, that's, that's one of the. That's how I'm watching it. <laughs> that's one of the things I love about Night Fight Plus, which is a, oh, uh, yeah, a, Night Fight, yeah. A, a streaming service I make it a point to subscribe to every year. They do old episodes of Night Flight with the original commercials, and it's just you want to talk about a nostalgia bomb. I sometimes nostalgia gets a a bad rap, but sometimes it's just what I need on Friday night. You know, I, I think I think I might have been doing the same thing in 1988, although far too young to understand anything that right. was going on. Well, it, I'd, I mean, I'd love for uh, someone to do that with like USA up all night. That'd be oh, yeah, absolutely. Just be, bring, I mean, oh, the Sedaris I, films. They, they did Friday the 13th marathons, all Rhonda and then Gilbert. Yeah. Rhonda and Gilbert. I uh, loved it. I used to that introduced that and uh they didn't have host segments but tbs netflix always has a special place in my heart because that's the first place where i saw heavy metal oh okay myself my what else is i finally watched i bought it almost a year ago fulci for fake have you seen that one no i haven't what's the story with this so this is a, a biopic documentary on lucio fulci this guy it starts with him putting makeup on to look like lucio and then he <laughs> okay he goes, he goes. Uh, you have interviews with the Simonati, the the composer that worked yes. with him a bunch. Yes, it is. And it's the only ever interview with his daughter. She's got like a health issue handicap that she's had for years, but she agreed, and she's really radiant and talking about him and stuff. You kind of get about who he was as his home life, his mind. But they're like, you know, he did like forty movies before he got into the horror stuff, but nobody cares. <laughs> nobody, nobody cares they, about they it. Brush over it. They're like, nobody knows. Nobody like, talked about it. This is where his mind came open, and you get a. It's just a really 
it has an interesting way of telling itself. It's short. It's like 90 minutes, but it's uh, it's all Italian. I love short, as we've discussed. Yes, I like short too. The the 90 minute, 90 to 100 minute movie is far underappreciated now. We, we had we had Army of Darkness on at the bar the other night, and I always tell people that's the movie that made me realize that 80 minutes is the perfect length for a movie because that movie does everything it's supposed to do and then some, and then it's over. Yeah, I like I I, I tend to like watching. I stay up late and I, I like to watch multiple movies in a night. Same. And then when you got like two and a half hour movie, you're like, that one kills you. And you're like, well, it's like two. Ah, if I, I was like, you know, I, I don't know. Like the movies I have on my to watch list or something will be too long. I'm like, well, you're the one this evening. Like I want to watch a bunch <laughs> anything, of- anything over an hour 45 or with subtitles usually gets put on the back burner because I'm usually like, again, like you, I'm watching them late. I'm like, there's no way. I'm going to be able to pay attention or stay up. Yeah, yeah. So the the, the, yeah, the subtitle thing, like, it's not like oh, foreign movies. Like, no, no. It's my eyes. I I can't read at night <laughs> and not fall asleep. Like, I, I really have to pay attention now. You know, I, like I always say, I always have taught on this podcast. I like to give a movie its best shot. Like that's the thing. Like if I'm yeah. grumpy that day, I won't watch something I was looking forward to because mm, it's already got. I'm already against myself on it. But yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, Fulci for fake. It's pretty good. Uh, Like I love Fulci, so I was really into it. So if you're not into Lucio Fulci, I don't know if this is going to do this. I love Fulci. uh, House by the Cemetery is one of my favorite horror films of the '80s, and one of my favorite Italian horror films. I'm a Beyond guy. Like that one. I I, like that one as well. I started not liking it, and now. Every Halloween, I watch The Beyond. It's odd. Well, it's, it's the Beyond weird. is another one that's a total hangout movie where mm-hmm. you're almost better off. We showed it last year for Fat Tuesday at Cigars mm-hmm. and Stripes when I was programming the Monster Movie Double Features on the last Tuesday of the month. We did it with JD's Revenge okay. for Fat Tuesday, you know, because of the New Orleans theme. And it's just a great movie to have on at the bar where you can drink and you can talk and you can look up and see the spider attack. Right. Or any of the other, you know, goofy Italian stuff that happens in that movie. Yeah. And I, I love it. I think the one like City of the Living Dead, that's the for everyone one of those that little trio of movies. I think like that's the like instant gratification one that pop on and people watch that. But yeah, uh, Fulci for Fake, you can get it from Severin Films. Uh, they, they have love what they're doing. They, love Severin Films. They're, yeah, I, I, there's too many of them now that I'm like, <laughs> I don't have the money for you guys. I if every I tell you I'll tell you what I the thing that I love most about Vinegar Syndrome, aside from the fact that they do a lot of the uh, fuck films that I enjoy, is the yearly subscription. Sex World in 4K. Yeah, the exactly. But it's the subscription thing because I mean, eight hundred dollars is a lot of fucking money, and I usually have to you know scrimp and scrape save to get it. But if more places offered that, I would probably give them the money up front. I like to tell myself that's my I'm way stunned. of done. Criterion doesn't do that. It's support stunned. Yeah. I, that's my way of supporting film restoration. You get my 800 bucks a year because that money up front means a lot to a place like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that helps them out. And I mean, they started out just doing it for shits and giggles and now they have a huge following. Please. And if any of them listen to this, I'd be happy to step in on any right. uh, fuck film commentaries. I there have. you go. Yeah. I have a lot to say about Jamie Gillis. One of my favorites. Yeah. We'll say like as the arrows and shout factories start to get more prestigious stuff from the studios, they're getting more into the, the junk. Were, they were we'll say junk. It. They were the junk because I love the junk. the junk. But they're getting more. They're going to get more prestigious junk and stuff like. Don't give I mean, up. What did on they do? The they junk, got... junk. Yeah, I just I mean... got Rush Week shipped today from them. I'm excited, and they're Jallo box sets. I love those. Yeah, I have a. I have the Jallo box sets, but I have not 
dove into I, those. I have one and two. I haven't picked. I'm, I'm waiting on three for the next sale. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming up. To, it's well, it'll have already happened by the time this episode airs. Yeah. But yeah, I like what they're doing. I, I I cleaned up on their Valentine's Day sale because all the erotic cinema was was half off, and I made a pretty good haul on it. Honest yeah. to God. All right. Well, that'll do it for today, Mike. Thank you for coming back. And I thank you for having me, Brandon. I hope I, you're always this, open to returning again. This was a great chat. This was even more yeah. fun than the Jason Goes to Hell one. This was great. Excellent. Well, thanks. And always such a groovy time just talking film stuff with you. Well, maybe we won't even talk a movie. We'll just start with something and see how see how we see go. where it goes. That see would be a fun. That would be a fun experiment. Although it'd be awful if it if it failed miserably. Sorry, right. listeners. It's coming. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, so Transformers uh, the movie. We'll do. Tra- Transformers the movie. Transformers the movie, yes. So uh, one last time, where can people keep up with your work and musings? So find me. uh, My favorite social media is Twitter. It's a lot of people's least favorite, but I mute and block all the right people. So it's my favorite. You can find me there at Mike Vanderbilt. I was an early adapter, which is why I have my name. I don't have to put up like the real or Mike Vanderbilt writes or some dumb shit like that. Or you can find me on Instagram at M.A. Vanderbilt. And of course, follow me at Halloweenies Pod and Windy City Double Feature on Twitter and Instagram. And and, uh, if you're in the Chicagoland area, come and see me Saturdays, Sundays, or Tuesdays at the Rock Island Public House in beautiful downtown Blue Island, Illinois, on Old Western Avenue. And, of course, we have our drive-in going strong. Let's see. So this episode will drop Monday, which means, oh, we'll be doing the first week of April. We're doing a special Easter-themed weekend with... The British gangster classic, The Long Good Friday on Friday. That's a great movie. Jackie Kong's The Being, one of my favorite creature features from the early 80s on Saturday. And Monty Python's Life of Brian on Sunday. Awesome. I usually double Life of Brian and Last Temptation of Christ that weekend. Perfect. What a combo. (laughs) I love it. My Jesus. And maybe Baby Huey's Easter Adventure, which was a favorite of Mike McPadden's. If I can track down a digital copy of oh, that there one. There we go. Awesome. Yeah, check it out if you live near. Within an hour drive. Within hour an hour drive. drive. That's go. near enough. Go. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon4KUHG. My written works at YSOBlue.com. There is more from the Brandon Peters Show this week. But until then, when talking movies online, keep it like Mike Vanderbilt. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Alsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.
some young lady. I don't know what I would have done without the good Lord. It seems to me, Hattie, that liquor gives you a lot more peace of mind than the Lord, if you ask me. 